You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com From the creation of the Department of Fatherland Security to the passage of the Patriot Act, from the destruction of Posse Comitatus to the signing into law of the NDAA earlier this year by President Obama, it seems that, uh, well, just a modern American history seems the, the coming to fulfillment and fruition of that dark prophecy, that dark warning that if tyranny comes to America, it will come in a uniform. And unfortunately, there are a lot of different steps towards taking the apparatus of the military, the police, the law enforcement generally, and turning it over to the dark side, as it were, turning it towards not the uh, not the good and the light, but towards tyranny itself, and taking away the rights that were once held so dear by Americans, but unfortunately are becoming less and less... Uh, available to people uh, as uh, the the tyranny continues to to take place. So tonight on the program we are scheduled to have on the line Stuart Rhodes of oathkeepers.org and unfortunately he is on the road right now so we're having some problems connecting to him but we will hopefully be connecting to him off the air. Uh, in just a few minutes, but I hope people who have not taken a look at Oathkeepers will do so. Oathkeepers.org, that's O-A-T-H-K-E-E-P-E-R-S.org, where you can find out more about Oathkeepers. Oathkeepers is a nonpartisan association of current and formerly serving military, reserves, National Guard, veterans, peace officers, and firefighters who will fulfill the oath we swore with the support of like-minded Uh, citizens who take an oath to stand with us to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign domestic, so help us God. Our oath is to the Constitution. Our motto is not on our watch. This is an organization that I'm sure a lot of you will be familiar with, but if you are not, I hope you will become familiar with this organization, which is nothing more or less than a group of officers and uh, serving military and, uh, and retired military National Guard veterans, police officers, peace officers, firefighters, all those who have sworn the oath to the Constitution, that they will uphold and defend that oath. And it's really nothing more or less complicated than that. People who are willing to stand up and reaffirm the oath that they swore to defend that Constitution. So an incredibly important document, incredibly important oath that has been sworn, and hopefully... Well, more and more people will get in tune with this message, because as I say, the tyranny that comes to the door will be coming in the form of a bat, uh, badge and a gun. But uh, just uh, on the note of uh, Stuart Rhodes, who of course is the founder of OathKeepers.org, he is on the road at the moment, as I mentioned, doing a uh, speaking series. So uh, people, I believe, in Minnesota have just recently had the chance to hear him live. We'll find out more about that after we get him on the air after the break. But uh, it's uh, for those who don't know about Stuart Rhodes, basically he's a, uh, a very well, well-known and well-renowned legal scholar who's uh, written about these issues of, of military martial law for quite some time and the, the steps towards it, and he has uh, written essays on this topic, etc. So he's quite well-versed on the history of it and the history of the tyranny that 
as I say, unfortunately, is encroaching on all of us. We will also have the phone lines open tonight if you'd like to get in on this very important topic of the military and the police and the firefighters and all those who swore their oath to the Constitution and how they are being turned against the citizenry. If you'd like to get in on the air tonight, we'll have the phone lines wide open at 1-800-313-9443, or you can tweet me live on air here at Corbett Report, and I will uh, do my best to read your tweets and or answer your phone calls on air. But let's take a short breather. When we come back, hopefully we'll have Stuart Rhodes on the line. So stay right there, and we'll be right back after these messages. All right, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Welcome back. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com coming to you here on this Monday night, and we will be live for the next hour with our guest, Stuart Rhodes of Oathkeepers at Oathkeepers.org. Stuart, there in the first uh, segment, I was just introducing Oathkeepers, what it is you do, and a little bit about your background, but uh, since you're here on the line now, let's let's hear a little bit more about Oathkeepers and how it all came together. Uh, well, Oathkeepers, the, the drive to start this organization came during the Bush years when I was a student at Yale Law School and what scared the crap out of me was what I saw happening with the detention of U.S. citizens um, under military jurisdiction and in particular Jose Padilla and Yasser Hamdi were two Americans detained during the Bush administration and when I was a student there at Yale Law School both the liberal students and the conservative students and the professors of, of both persuasions all agreed it was just fine to treat an American citizen exactly the same as a goat herder in Afghanistan and just detain them for the duration of the conflict if they wanted to. And they saw no problem with this. And I was just, I feel like it was like a Twilight Zone episode. I feel like, uh, that's what I feel like. So I went to the treason clause in the Constitution and said, here's exactly what you have to do with an American accused of making war against his own country. You must try them for treason in front of a jury of their peers in an Article Three civilian court. But they didn't listen. And unfortunately, that's the precedent has been set now for the use of the laws of war on Americans. And it was done by Bush, then it was rubber stamped by the courts, and then it was done by Obama, and now rubber stamped by Congress with the NDAA of 2012, Section 1021 in particular. Congress said, yes, we agree with that interpretation of the Constitution and the war powers of the president. And so they, they placed us really on a kind of a short track to having to fight another revolution unless we can convince them to pull back or find some way to stop this. Because otherwise, the Bill of Rights is dead. I mean, you can say, sure, no big deal. Only two guys, only two Americans in modern history have been saying like this. But the problem is, once you set that precedent and establish that legal principle, we no longer have the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is not, you get a right to jury trial unless the president doesn't want to give you one. And Obama has done one thing that Bush hadn't done, which is to intentionally target U.S. citizens for assassination. So he's gone one step further than Bush. He's out Bush Bush, basically. And instead of detaining you, he can just kill you, which is exactly what you can do in wartime to a foreign enemy. You can kill them, you can capture and detain for the duration of a conflict, or he can try them by military tribunal. And that's exactly what he is claiming to be able to do now. He's either just kill you, or detain you, or try by tribunal. So it tracks exactly with what we've always done with enemies in wartime, foreign enemies. And so 
like I said, it's basically the, the Iraq activation of the United States. It's turning, breaking the walls of war home and turning the United States into Iraq. And as you look forward and see, not forward too, but looking forward and seeing what's coming down the road with a possible economic collapse um, and with the gearing up here domestically for the military and DHS and, and increasingly targeting U.S. citizens and in particular uh, conservatives and gun owners and, and Ron Paul supporters, et cetera, as their future potential enemy, it's a pretty scary prospect. And so that's why I started Oath Keepers. Was, it was, I said, look, we're in a lot of trouble here. This is kind of like constitutional triage. I want to try to go to the guys with the guns, get them to understand what's right and wrong so they don't cross those lines and compel us to have to fight for our freedom. You know, Stuart, what fascinates me about your story is not that you, as a student at Yale Law School, saw the writing on the wall and understood what was happening, but that not every student saw what was happening. Not everyone at Yale Law School and Harvard Law and all of these other prestigious institutions have uh, started their own Oath Keepers or, or supported your work. Why is it that so few people are out there doing this extremely important work at this extremely uh, harrowing time? Well, you know, actually, I got, I got a uh, call the other day from two young, uh, two uh, alumni of Yale Law School who do support what I'm doing. But I think at the time when I was there, I think it's just kind of human nature. Um, these are people who are in the power elite. They don't see it happening to them. Um, I think for the most part, they don't really have much respect for the Constitution. And the conservatives in particular, during the Bush years, they just, they were just drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, he could do no wrong. He's their guy, and, and they're comfortable with it. There were more liberals who were upset and opposed to his policy than there were conservatives at Yale, which I thought was kind of sad, you know. But um, so it's kind of human nature. And now that now that the shoes on the other foot, you've got four more four more conservatives who are upset and angry about what Obama's doing. He's really doing the same thing Bush did when it comes to these powers. And the liberals are silent, you know. And not all of them, but but a larger percentage. It's just kind of the way it goes. It's, it's you know, when there's, there's four teams, I got the ball, and they can do no, no wrong, and go team go, you know. It, it is so, the way it goes, but, but it, it, that is the way it goes, but it's such a sad indictment of human nature that, that unfortunately, they, yeah. they can control us so well with that political pendulum. Yeah, it is. But, but there's a, but there's a good, the good news is, is there's a growing third part of the population that is consistent. They oppose what Bush did, and they oppose what Obama's doing. And so that's where the hope is. I'm talking about, like, Ron Paul Republicans. Um, there are some liberal liberals who were against Bush and are against Obama for the same reason. You know, they're looking like uh, one of them's like Professor Troy, um, Henry Wolf, and these two are, you know, more well-known people. But there are people on the political left who are also opposed to it. And so, you know, that's where we're going to have any kind of a chance to save the Bill of Rights is to, is to stand together, uh, sitting aside other differences, and say, this is the bedrock. At least defend this. If you don't defend the Bill of Rights, this country ceases to be America. Without the Bill of Rights, you know, we're nothing. Because, you know, looking back at the Declaration of Independence, these are exactly the same grievances, the same abuses, same long-term abuses that compelled them to fight. Among the, the abuses was denial of jury trial. And it says right there, the king has in many cases denied us the benefit of trial by jury. And that was done by statute, just like the NDA, the statute. Parliament passed a statute denying jury trials cases. And they did the same thing. They also did the same thing for rendition. They, one of the charges against the king is for spiriting us across the seas, we tried for pretend defenses. 
We're going to take them across the seas of England for trial in front of a hostile English, English jury, or even in front of the jury that appears in Boston, Massachusetts, you know, the hotbed of rebellion. So that was also done by statute. And so this is nothing more than the sun. Parliament passed statute after statute. That's what they, that's what they call the intolerable acts. You know, they were passing these intolerable statutes that were abridging and violating the ancient rights of Englishmen that the colonists believed belonged to them as well. And that compelled them to fight. It's not just taxation but representation. And so our government now is going down the same road. Almost exactly. It's tracking almost exactly. It, it really is, which I guess presents the opportunity to, for us to point out those parallels and see how people dealt with that in the past. But uh, as, as of course, the Declaration of Independence warned, uh, governments long established should not be thrown off for light and transient reasons. So it, it, it does impel us to make the best case we can. And I, I see that as part of the Oath Keeper mission in, in terms of articulating this case and explaining to people why it is so dangerous, the, the path we're headed down. And the problem, the really, we're in a bad spot because, like, like I just said, Congress has, with the NDA of 2012, Congress has given us consent and approval to these interpretations of power by the executive branch and by the judicial branch. So now you have all three branches of the federal government agreeing to this, saying, hell yeah, let's go. You know, you got John McCain and Lindsey Graham right up there on the Senate floor, making it very plain and clear that it applies to U.S. citizens. And they want it that way. Lindsey Graham is saying, if you're an American citizen and, and you're part of Al-Qaeda and you want a lawyer, we'll tell you, shut up. You don't get a lawyer. You're an enemy combatant. You know, they're, they're very willful in knowing what they're doing. Well, actually, when so he said it, it bad... sounded more like, shut up, shut up. You shut yeah. up. You don't get a lawyer. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah. I suggest people look that up on YouTube because it's just a bit creepy the way he was doing it. Yeah, and of course, it won't be pasty-faced, panty-waist Lindsey Graham that comes to your house <laughs> and do this. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you would. But no, it's not. It's going to be, you know, that's, that's their whole point. They're going to send the military. That's who's going to take you into military custody. It's going to be National Guard or Standing Army troops from North Carolina. So, so we're, we're really, you know, I can't sugarcoat things. I don't want to. It's, it's my obligation to be honest. We're in a bad place. Because look at it this way. Even if you could sweep out all the workplaces out of Congress, you still have a horrible Supreme Court decision, the Hamby case, 2004, which said that there's nothing in the Constitution that bars the U.S. government from detaining one of its own citizens as an unlawful combatant. You know, they already crossed the Rubicon constitutionally. So even if you were clean Congress out and put in decent people that would repeal the NDAA, there's still a decision sitting right there that says it's okay. So it's no longer a matter of a, a constitutional command that's above legislation. Now the Constitution, the Bill of Rights has been reduced to the level of mere legislation. That's what the courts are basically saying, is that Congress could pass a law and authorize, you know, this kind of intention. And in fact, Congress already, or the, uh, the courts have already interpreted um, the congressional authorization for use of military force in 2001. They had already interpreted that as authorizing military detention. And so, you know, being DAA wasn't really necessary. They were already doing it under the AUMF of 2001, but the NDAA just makes it very, you know, double damn clear that Congress does intend to allow extraordinary rendition of anyone, including you and me, any citizen, to any foreign nation or any foreign entity, and military trial if they want to, or just military attention with no trial, or just killing you. 
Absolutely. So, a very, very worrying precedent. And unfortunately, it's like a, a legal dominoes that's been set up. And once that first one falls, the rest seem to fall all in line. So it is something right. that should be concerning to all of us. Well, let's take a short break. We're coming up against the break. Once again, if you'd like to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443. We're talking to Stuart Rhodes of Oathkeepers.org. We'll be back with more on this very important topic right after these messages. All right, welcome back to the program, friends. Here we are on Corbett Report Radio on this Monday night edition, talking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org. And uh, Stuart, I, I mentioned you're out on the road, I believe, in there in Minnesota, giving some uh, speeches. Tell us a little bit about what it is you're you're up to. Well, I said I just got back to Montana from Minnesota. I was there for a Liberty Rally in uh, the Minneapolis area um, for there were Liberty activists and candidates there who put this rally together. And so what they're trying to do is keep the, in part, keep the Ron Paul movement going after the Paul campaign ends. And so I've also been invited to speak at Paul Fest down in Tampa. Um, and I'm going over this to try to recruit some of the people that are really active and involved in the Ron Paul movement and, you know, get them to help us with our mission to reach out to the current survey and also the veterans. Excellent. Well, uh, give us some more information. Where, where will you be next and what, what other things will you be doing this year? Uh, well, Tampa's the next big, big event I'll be going out to speak at. And we're going to stay there for a week and, 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 uh, reach out to all, all the delegates, delegates at the GOP convention, not just the Ron Paul delegates, but also the Romney delegates as well. And just try to educate about what's going on. And, and, you know, I figure if someone's going to go all the way to Tampa and, and take the time and money to go do that, it might be a pretty good prospect for, for helping us with our mission. The other big thing we're doing is billboards outside of military bases to take message directly to the base as fast as we can. Um, I'm a little concerned that we, we might be running out of time. And so I want to just make it as efficient as possible. Uh, figure, we'll put a big billboard right outside of Camp Pendleton, for example, Marine Corps base, and then have Oathkeeper volunteers and vets go stand outside the, the main gate and hand them DVDs and, and uh, flash drives with information on them, you know, on the way in, and just saturate, saturate them with knowledge. In particular, Warning them about the NDAA and then the whole constitutional crisis that surrounds that claim of, claim of power to be able to apply the laws of order Americans, and also warning them about the coming economic uh, catastrophe. Those are our two great threats right now: the constitutional crisis and an economic crisis. Well, you, so we want to take the message straight to them. Right. Well, you obviously um, do have the chance to talk to a lot of military, peace officers, firefighters, others who have taken that oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. And obviously, uh, uh, the, those who choose to join the Oath, oath Keepers obviously understand the, the perils that the country is facing. What about those that you talk to who are not willing to, to do that, to, to take that, uh, that Oath Keeper uh, re, reaffirmation of the oath? What kinds of uh, excuses or, or ideas do you hear from people who are not interested in this? Well, we've had some people come up to us, like in gun shows, who are, usually it's an officer. <laughs> you know, some colonel or major. It's like, oh, that's going to cause ascension in the ranks. And we have to try to teach them what they should already know about their obligations under the laws of war, but also the Constitution to refuse unlawful orders. You know, and it's just it's a little bit frightening to see an officer, a military officer who's gone through college and, and has gone through, you know, officer candidate school or, or the basic school in the Marine Corps who doesn't grasp that basic concept. It's just really, you know, kind of remarkable. But it also helps reinforce why we need to be doing this. And there's a recent um, article, if you saw the article in the Small Wars Journal, written by Colonel Benson, who 
teaches at Leavenworth. He, he's an instructor that teaches like future warfare um, to to the to the army to army officers. And he had a an article recently that caused a bit of a firestorm because he was talking about domestic deployment in the United States, full spectrum deployment. He called it of the military inside the United States. And in this hypothetical he used in his article, it was a Tea Party insurrection in South Carolina that the military had to go and put down. And, uh, and in this scenario, he, he paints, he says the local law enforcement is sympathetic and is not doing anything. And, and the governor is also sympathetic and is not doing anything to stop these Tea Party people from taking over the town, which I thought was really interesting. That he, uh, so it's almost like they're, or he at least, is looking at you know future nullification um, refusal to go along by local state law enforcement officers and, and state legislatures and governors as a potential problem. But it's just interesting that he did. Yeah. That's the enemy of all the things he could have talked about. All the, you know, there's, there's Muslims that, that pretty much run Dearborn, Michigan. It wasn't like a, a you know, Islamic takeover of Dearborn and, and establishment of Sharia law. Nothing like that. It was Tea Party people. That was his future enemy. Well, you know, well, you know those fine. those pesky tenthers, they're the ones to watch out for. I mean, imagine that, states' rights, what a revolutionary concept. Well, you know, in some ways it's not actually that surprising that it would be the officers who would be the most resistant to the idea because it goes back to what you're saying at, at Yale or, or any of the other elite institutions where people aren't uh, just don't see it affecting them. So they, they can just put it, write it off of their consciousness. They don't care because it's not their, their problem, right. so to speak. Well, and they've been conditioned also. This is, this is one of the reasons why, um, like, going way back to the 29 Palm Survey that was done by Guy Cunningham, Lieutenant Colonel, or Lieutenant uh, Commander Guy Cunningham, did the 29 Palm Survey because he saw the conditioning of his fellow officers. The officer corps in particular, the military colleges, the War College, West Point, Annapolis, they're, they're being conditioned to think that the way they keep their oath and the way they fulfill their duty to their country is to further this increasingly international and world um, government and and world world integration of, of military power and economic power and political power. And so they're being conditioned. That's what their real loyalty lies. And so that's why he, he was concerned about that. That's why he did that survey at 29 Pauls. You remember that, don't you, back in the 90s? As a matter of fact, I don't. Okay, well, that's, that's he spoke in our... If you go look up on YouTube and find our, our uh, series of speeches from Lexington Green... Um, back in 2009, he was one of our speakers. What he did is, is for his, his for his doctoral thesis at the War College, he went to 29 Palms and did a survey asking combat Marines there he did a uh, series of questions. One of them was a survey in command. Uh, one of the, the most most black was he asked them whether they would fire an American. Right. Now that you mention it, I do recall that. All right. So let's take a short break. We're going to come right back after these messages. Once again, talking to Stuart Rhodes, OathKeepers.org. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org. Guardians of the Republic, honor your oath, join us. So I hope people will go and check out OathKeepers.org. And certainly if you or someone you know is uh, eligible to take that, uh, reaffirm that oath, by all means, get them into that website and get them looking at these issues, which go to the very heart of the American Republic and what it stands for. But uh, Stuart Rhodes, let's continue 
you, you were talking about the 29 Palms uh, uh, survey of Marines and whether or not they would open fire on U.S. citizens who refuse or resist gun confiscation. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Well, Commander Cunningham, in the survey he gave the Marines, he asked them, um, one of the questions was, hypothetical was given that if, you know, if Congress has banned the possession of certain military pattern rifles, you know, what the left likes to call assault rifles, military pattern semi-automatic, M1A or, or a FAL or HK-9 or an AK or AR-15, et cetera. Congress has done this, and given the people, the people 30 days to turn them in, and some are refusing to turn them in and are resisting. And so then the question is given, would you fire on Americans who are resisting gun confiscation under this law? 24% said that they would, and that's what was shocking to him and to other, other Americans. And as he said, even you know, at the speech he gave at Lexington Green, he said, even the Marine Corps, whose motto is Semper Fi, always faithful, you have that kind of ignorance of the Constitution that would lead them to say yes to something like that. And so that was a big wake-up call for quite a few people. And that was in the back of my mind because I was looking at in combatant status and then looking at what happened in New Orleans during Katrina. And that's what I said. I got, that's, that's enough of that. i got to make sure we get more of those. And that's the silver lining in that survey. While 24% said that they would, about another 25 or 30% said, not just no, but hell no. Not do that. And there were some in the middle who had no opinion. And like Senator Cunningham said, he's like, how can you not have an opinion on a question like that? So so that's kind of the breakdown. There's some who will follow orders that we saw during Katrina, you had gun confiscation right there. And there are some who will not. And then there's the one that blow in the middle. And so we want to increase the number of those who will not, so they'll tip the scales on the side of the Constitution. Exactly right. Well, uh, let's go to the phone lines. We have one caller waiting on the lines. Once again, you can get in 1-800-313-9443, or you can tweet me on air at Corbett Report. But let's go to Judith, who's waiting on the line there in Missouri. Judith, thanks for calling in tonight. Thank you for this program. I would like to mention the uh, Oath Keepers uh, National Convention, uh, September 17th, Constitution Day. In Las Vegas, it was uh, originally for sheriffs and uh, peacekeepers, but now it's been opened to uh, any uh, citizens who wish to go. And I imagine you can get that information on the Oath Keepers site. Actually, the best place to go for that is is cspoa.org, Constitutional Sheriff. And Peace Officer Association Network. Unfortunately, I haven't had my IT guy put the put that announcement on our site yet. I need to fix that. But so thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for reminding me about that. Yeah, yeah Sheriff, uh, Mac, Sheriff, Sheriff Mac was oh, publicizing it today on the radio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, you know, Sheriff Mac's on my board of directors for Oath Keepers, and we work very closely together. And he had a wonderful seminar um, back in January for sheriffs. Yes. hundred sheriffs show up. It was great. And so now we're doing it again in September, and I'm going to be there speaking, and Oath Keepers is, you know, once again helping to, to, to uh, put the event together. And so, yes, he's, he's opened it up to even folks who are not um, currently serving police officers. And so he wants to make sure that active um, activists and dedicated patriots who want to help with his mission in particular have, have all the tools they need. So reach out to your sheriffs. Because sheriffs are a critical uh, pool. I consider... 
if I had to focus on only two groups, I would focus on well, three. One is the active duty military. Number two would be the sheriffs, and number three would be the veterans. You know, those are the three most critical, potentially history-changing groups. And of course, everybody else. You know, ranking file police officers and police chiefs and and all that, of course. But the critical ones, sheriffs are critical. They're a critical office. Yes. Judith, will you be attending yourself? I'm afraid I can't afford to, but I may. I'll send a contribution to help some sheriff in Missouri go. Well, thank you, ma'am. That's and that's that's one of the, one other thing to mention is that sheriffs who want to go, we are raising the funds. And Sheriff Mack is is you know, go to his site to do the donations if you want to donate. But the whole point is to tell the sheriffs they have an all expenses paid trip to Vegas. It won't cost them a dime, so they have no reason not to go. And that's a good litmus test for your sheriff. If your sheriff won't take that trip to go, you know, hang out with other sheriffs and learn about the Constitution, then you got a problem. You know, it could be a good uh, a good way to tell whether or not that sheriff uh, deserves to be reelected. Excellent. Anything yes, else there, Judith? And I'm told that you can designate that donation to anyone you want. It could be your county commissioner. It could be a sheriff of another county, uh, right. that kind of thing. So you can um, make sure you can say this is for this person to go and, and and help them put the money together for that person to go. That's right. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you, you, Judith. Man. Thank thank you for that, and thank you for uh, bringing that up. So uh, your your phone was cutting out there a bit, Stuart. Was that cspoa dot org? CSPOA. Yes, okay. Constitutional Sheriff and Peace Officers Association. Excellent. Well, I certainly hope people will be uh, checking into that, and and people who aren't able to go, I hope you'll be able to at least send someone from your local area to go, because once again, if uh, it is a good litmus test, and uh, the sheriff system is, as a Canadian, I can appreciate just how how important that system is, um, because obviously it's not one that we have in Canada, so uh, absolutely people have to take advantage of, of every single recourse that they have. Because of course, uh, as you mentioned before, the uh, the, the only um, the, once the all peaceful forms of resistance have been taken away, the only uh, form of resistance left is revolution, and no one really wants it to get to that stage. Because unfortunately, no one's a winner when it gets to that type of uh, civil war type uh, uh, state of um, play. When we come to this uh, this growing, what, what else can you call it? I mean, a, a type of um, encroaching tyranny of of the highest uh, well, magnitude. That's what it would be. Yeah. I mean, we're like I've told people in the in the speech I gave yesterday. We're not like a short track, and we're at a crossroads. Um, we're about to have to choose between 1934 Germany and 1774 America. That's about where we are, or you can even say 1775 America. And that we we don't the remedies we still have in our hands are are diminishing. The window is closing. Um, I think now with Congress and the political system having failed, the Tea Party having failed to put true constitutions in power. And the reason I say that is because most of the Tea Party guys are elected all turn right around and voted for the NDAA. They voted to violate basic rights of the right to jury trial. With that failure, the fallback now is the states. And we have had state nullification. We've had several bills, bills passed, one in Virginia, one in Arizona. Um, other states are working on it. I've written model legislation to nullify the NDAA, along with Richard Fry for the Patriot Coalition, and of course, the 10th Amendment Center has Neville Bolton and his crew also done model bills. Now, with the Southern Virginia passed, 
And so there is that resistance. And so nullification at the state level and the local level by the county sheriffs and the county commissioners, um, but by your state, is critical. That's the next stage. That's what we have to focus on now. That's the last peaceful remedy we have left is to nullify. And, and that includes the military. That's what Oki is all about. It's really a nullification project. We want them to nullify, to say, nope, we don't agree with that. That's unconstitutional. We, the Supreme Court turned their back on the Constitution and turned out the window. We will defend it anyway. And that's the message to, to every level. So you as an individual in your town, your county, get your county commissioners to sign a resolution against the NDAA, um, to get your sheriff to sign. We have, we have sheriff resolutions on a website called theintolerableacts.org, theintolerableacts.org, or the .com. I'm not going to which one of those. But that's one that I, that I put together in coalition uh, with Paper Coalition in cooperation with them. I believe it's intolerableacts.org, theintolerableacts.org. And there's model legislation there for every state. There's model legislation for, for a county and for a sheriff to nullify the NDAA. Well, let, let's talk about some of the other things that people are trying at the moment. Uh, the, the Guardian just recently published an op-ed uh, called What Makes Our NDAA Lawsuit a Struggle to Save the U.S. Constitution, and it's by Tangerine Bolin, who starts off by saying, yeah. I am one of the lead plaintiffs in the civil lawsuit against the National Defense Authorization Act, which gives the president the power to hold any U.S. citizen anywhere for as long as he wants without charge or trial. Uh, what, what do you know about this lawsuit and uh, the chances of it in succeeding? Well, I know about the the case and, and its chances. Hello. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, is that your question? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I've talked to Tangerine. I've known the case. I think it's great that did that. Um, I don't hold out much, but here's why: they've done it under a paradigm of well, this is this is a violation of the First Amendment because it's chill speech because it's so vague. People who are, you know, the authors and these, these journalists won't know if, if their activities as a journalist will, will, will land in Guantanamo. And they're right. It is. A, there's uh, everything they say is correct. And in in some ways, it was a smart tactic because the last, it's like the last thing that you know everyone cares about is free speech, and that's the, the part of the law and the jurisprudence and case law is the strongest. It's free speech jurisprudence. But the problem is is you still have that Fourth Circuit case, the decision in the Padilla case, that said, you know, President Bush can decide on his own who, who the enemy is in wartime, what we're at war, who the enemy is, what can be done about it. It was a horrible decision over the detention of U.S. citizen Jose Padilla. And then there's the Supreme Court case in 2004 of Yasser Hamdi. Even though he was captured overseas in Afghanistan, it's still rubber-stamped and allowed for the detention of, of a U.S. citizen under military jurisdiction, under the international laws of war, and so the counter to their argument, this violates you know, the First Amendment, is, well, the First Amendment doesn't apply in a battlefield. This is a battlefield. The world's a battlefield. America's a battlefield. The Supreme Court's already said this is constitutional. The president has given authority by Congress to do this now. And I think it's most likely, and it all depends on what three-judge panel winds up taking the case on appeal, but I think it's most likely that in the end, you're going to get judges who will say, well, Congress just reaffirmed this power. And make very clear that, that that you know they're reaffirming all the things they're affirming that they've already you know what the president's already been doing in the, in the 2012 NDAA. They can be very deferential. The courts tend to be very deferential to Congress and to the president in wartime. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Youngstown Sheet and Tube case. This is the 
case where back in the 50s, 1950, I think it was, when during the, the Korean War, Truman seized the steel mills to make sure there was enough steel production. Um, in that court case, out of that case came a test that the courts used, and it was from Justice Jackson, I believe. And what it says is, is that when the president acts on his own authority contrary to an act of Congress, then he has to prove he's at the lowest ebb of his power, of his presumed power, because he has to prove that he has an independent power under Article Two, even when Congress says no. So now he's at a higher level if Congress is silent. If Congress hasn't said anything and the president claims the authority to do something, then he's at the next higher level. When he has to claim the authority to do something and Congress has said yes to it, the courts will give the greatest amount of deference. They'll see him as being at the pinnacle of his claim powers of the Constitution because he can say, I'm doing this under Article 2, but also Congress under Article 1 has granted me this authority. And that's where we are now because of the friggin' NDAA. We are at that pinnacle of claimed executive power. And then you have, of course, the, the two horrible precedents from the, from the Supreme Court and the Fourth Circuit I've already mentioned. So I don't hold out much, much prospect. I do not put my faith in rogue lawyers on the Supreme Court. They have already betrayed the Constitution. Back in Very good point, yeah. I, I encourage people to go read, look up, uh, you can just Google Hamdi, H-A-M-D-I, Hamdi Decision, and just look up dissent in Scalia. Scalia wrote a dissent to the majority decision, the plurality decision. And in his dissent, he points out the grievous error they're making. And he talks about the treason clause and what, you know, fundamental principles like the separations, the separation of powers, but separation between the laws of war and our domestic law. And so that's a really good, his, his, uh, his dissent is a really good explanation of exactly how bad things really are and why we're so off track. But sadly, it is not uh, ruled in law, as uh, unfortunately the majority decision was. Uh, let's let's talk ab- about uh, some of the other issues that are uh, swirling around this. You mentioned the authorization for use of military force in 2001, which has uh, already really enacted a lot of the things that the NDA has just sort of um, brought out into the open. But let's talk about what happened in Libya last year and how that plays into it and the, the use of terms like m- kinetic military action to authorize the deployment of troops in, in or to justify the deployment of troops in, in actions that have not been authorized by Congress. Right. Oh, look at what happened when, uh, when Secretary of Defense went in front of the Senate and told them, you know, very point blank, we may let you know what we're doing or what we're about to do, or we may not. I mean, they're, they're you know, that's what's so, so absurd about and sad about all the liberals who cheered for Obama because they opposed what Bush did. He's carrying on the same thing. He's making the same arguments that as commander in chief, he has an independent power to do whatever he wants so long as he calls it war, or as you said, or even just military kinetic action, whatever the heck that means. And so he's trying to circumvent the War Powers Act, which is a you know pretty pretty much a watered down bastardization of the Constitution already. You know, instead of requiring a congressional declaration of war, it defers to the president the authority to go you know, conduct military operations on his own. You know, and then supposedly report back to Congress. Well, now they're saying we don't even need to report back to you. That's what that's the claim. And so it's, it's basically the same claim it made under the Bush administration, which was called the unitary executive idea. That under Article Two, the president has plenary, you know, totally 
standalone, unassailable authority and power as commander-in-chief. And the argument is, is that he doesn't need a declaration of war to, to use these powers. And once he evokes these powers and uses them, they, he, he's evoking the full gamut of warfare and the international laws of war. And so that's why, you know, that's why I'm looking at this since, since 2001, I said this build-up. And what it reminds me of, you know, of course, immediately was, was exactly the same kind of thing that happened in Germany. You had the Reichstag fire after the Reichstag fire, uh, the burning of the legislature, you had the Reichstag fire decree, um, and then you had the Enabling Act. And the Reichstag fire decree, what that did is it triggered, they had a provision in their constitution that allowed them to set aside um, basic civil liberties during an emergency. And the president could pass a decree to enact that. And that's what he did. Uh, the president, I think, not, I think his name was, I can his name, that's everyone H. It was Hitler, it was a chancellor. But the president at the time evoked the Article 58 of, of the German Constitution, the Constitution suspended certain civil liberties, like the right to trial. Exactly so, right. So it is it is tracking onto that very, very well. Well, again, we're coming up against a break. Let's come back and wrap things up with Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org after this. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. Once again, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and we have been talking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org about the very worrying uh, set of uh, possibilities that are coming down the road as, unfortunately, we creep closer and closer towards this uh, military totalitarianism, and it is always a question of whether or not the troops will fulfill their orders if and when the time comes, or whether they will honor that oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. So, Stuart, I know it's uh, difficult to put this any more plainly uh, for people than, than we already have, or that the events that have been taking place already have, but for people out there who are maybe hearing this message for the first time, who may either uh, be in a situation to, uh, to be an oath keeper or know someone who might, uh, what would you say to them if they're on the fence or thinking about uh, doing something? Well, the, the biggest, the big point is, is, is not necessarily to get them to come join my organization. The big point is that they have to know the Constitution in order to defend it. That's the first thing. If you don't know it, you can't defend it. You can't keep your oath. Yeah. And the second thing is, is that they have to recognize and, and come to terms with the fact that they raised their right hand and swore that oath. And that's where that decision was made. You do not get to duck out and violate the Constitution after you've done that, unless you're going to become, you know, someone that deserves to be cursed for all eternity and, and violate your sacred oath. So you made your decision, so suck it up and deal with it, and deal with the facts of what, what's going on in this country, and open your eyes. You know, things I'm talking about are not tinfoil high conspiracy theory. You can go, it's in the law. You can go read it. And that's why the NDAA, frankly, was a gift. I look at it as a gift. You said before, they're already doing these things under the AUMF. I'd rather have it in black and white law in one place where I can say, see right there? That's what it says. And that actually helps us. Same goes for this most ridiculous Colonel Benson right in this article where he portrays the, uh, the Tea Party as a future military enemy of the U.S. military. That's also a gift. Because the more he does that, the more he ticks off more Americans and makes them realize what's going on. It is a bizarre... We were never meant... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it is a bizarre kind of hubris that these people are putting so much of this in black and white when tyrannies in the past have tended to, uh, you know, not, not openly acknowledge the, the most tyrannical aspects of their reign. Right. 
I think that they, you know, they look at Americans and figure that we're not going to do anything about it. And that's kind of the same pattern you saw in the lead up to the American Revolution. You had one British officer who, who joked that, you know, they, don't, they said they'll never fire, we'll never fire on British troops. And he said, all you need is one, one brigade of grenadiers. They can go up and down the coast of America, gelding all the males, part by cussing, you know, and part by force and part by coaxing. You know, that's what he said. And so they, they had contempt for the, for the colonists. They didn't believe they'd do anything. And they got their asses handed to them on April 19, 1775. And that's when they realized. And, of course, Bunker Hill, too, looking know that they were in a real fight. So, you know. That's, that's just kind of the nature of that's That's one of the great things about that kind of arrogance and power is it, is it does, I think, fall to hubris. And they wind up going too far too fast, a bridge too far, a bridge too fast. And they wind up ticking people off and put them off the fence. And the other big thing to put them off the fence, when the, when the fighting finally started, is they brought over the Hessian mercenaries. And having foreign troops, um, you know, Hessians, which were from... Germanic troops in the United States, raping, and they were raping and burning farms and pillaging and, and looting. Having that going on in, on their own on their own soil, it's a pretty that big wake up call. A lot of America, and it is happening. It is happening more and more now as uh, we see troops training with American troops on American soil. So, um, yeah, very very interesting historical parallels. Yeah, and that's been going on for years, but it seems to be intensifying. And so, you know, frankly. If it comes to a fight, I, I hope they do that. I hope they bring foreign troops in, because all it would do is push, push more Push America. people over the edge. Well, Stuart Rhodes, we're going to have to leave things there. I hope people will check into OathKeepers.org and help uh, support uh, your organization in whatever way they can, monetarily or otherwise. So, Stuart Rhodes, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Bye. And thank you all for out there for listening. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'll be back to talk to you again tomorrow night. So until then, thank you for listening, and take care.